0: Good morning everyone, my name is Russell Smith, uh, the senior pastor here at New Life and uh, I'll be uh, sharing, uh, bringing to us our uh, teaching time, our sermon, our time from the Bible uh, together today and across the next four weeks. We're starting this new sermon series where we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say to us about money. For all of us, money comes in and money goes out. There is not a day that goes by where we don't think about or come into contact with money. Perhaps even if we don't have a coin or a note in our hand, every day we are in contact with, out of contact with, we are thinking about money. In this series, we want to get God's perspective on the world and us and eternity, and so be thinking together about how this will shape how we think and what we do with money. Now, when I look at the Bible's perspective on money, the more and more I look at it, what I feel and what I hope and pray that you will feel is free, the more I look at the Bible, the more I look at money from God's perspective, the more I feel free from stress, free from worry about money, free from anxiety about money, free from guilt about money. The more I get God's perspective on the world and me and eternity as I think about money, I see that I am more free to enjoy the good gifts that God has given. I'm free to be more strategic. I'm free to be shrewd. I'm free to be generous. Now, I reckon that's a pretty, pretty big claim. If I was a prosperity preacher, which I'm not, if I was a, 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 a federal economist, if I was a financial planner, to come up this morning and make a big claim that you are going to feel free... That'd be a big claim, wouldn't it? Oh, I don't even know your financial situation. I am no kind of economist. I've got an engineering background. Looking at budgets and financial statements actually makes me panic a little bit. One of my other ministry mates who had a similar challenge when it came to dealing with church finances, he said, you've got to remove the dollar signs and put it something that's okay. Uh, so, So for me, it's buckets of dirt. Okay, as a geotechnical engineer, I can handle buckets of dirt coming in and buckets of dirt going out and where are we going to put that bucket of dirt and we need some more dirt to go over there. Okay, It's completely okay in my mind to handle buckets of dirt but handing dollars figures just kind of makes me panic a little bit. I am no kind of financial strategist. But this big claim is possible because you and I know God. Our good and generous heavenly Father and starting with Him and who He he is and what He has done and is doing in the world, it might be possible as we have His perspective to be free. So my hope and prayer that as we look at money together, that as we carefully consider what we do with what God's entrusted to us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a wider community... ...that we might have a renewed freedom. And that from this freedom we will have generosity, contentment, joy and thankfulness for what we have. Now the way that we are going to approach this uh, series together is to look at four financial strategies that are at play in the world, that each one of us are influenced by, for financial strategies that are actually opposed to God. Ways that we think about money, ways that we use money that are less than godly. Ways that are godless. I've come up with these terms, financial asceticism, financial atheism, Financial apathy and financial anxiety. Let me explain just a little bit about each one of them. And as I do, think about which one describes your money strategy. Financial asceticism goes a little bit like this. It's that feeling or decision that you have made that you want to get away from money and consumerism. You, you don't like it. It feels a little bit dirty to you. You, you, you would prefer self-denial, getting away from it all, doing something a little bit simpler, a simpler life, and perhaps in a way that gives you a spiritual benefit. If you ask somebody who's into financial asceticism, is money bad? I say, yeah. Yeah, money's bad. That's financial asceticism. Maybe you're a little bit in that area with your personal financial strategy in the way that you think about money. Financial atheism. A financial atheist sees and knows that money is powerful. Money can do stuff. Money can fix problems. And even if you don't have a lot of money... You might be somebody who still has this idea that if I just have a little bit more, it will make my life right. It will fix my life. Money is a good thing. And not just a good thing, but a powerful thing. And I need this money. You ask a financial atheist, is money safe? Yes, they would say. Maybe that's a little bit of you. Then there's financial apathy. These are the kind of people where money comes in, money comes out. No real planning to life. No, certainly no financial plan. Perhaps not even know how much money is coming in and out each kind of week. I don't even really know how much I get paid. No need for a budget, but no stress. Stress. About that. I'm not worried about it. Just comes in and out. And you ask somebody who's into financial apathy is money unimportant? Yeah. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't think about it. Financial anxiety. The fourth of the financial strategies that we're going to look at that is opposed to God financial anxiety, money is everything I'm worried about money it is it is so important and so necessary but I don't have enough I don't know if I have enough Uh, money is you ask them if money is everything See, maybe I hope it isn't but I feel like it is what's your financial strategy perhaps you can place yourself on the grid there Or in the Vital Info handout there, I've got these uh, four financial strategies there. You might like to draw your own little picture of where you sit. In one of the corners or in the middle, and and here in the middle is not the place to balance these things out. We want to actually flip them all over. Do you feel a little bit of all these things? Do you feel one of them more strongly than the other? What's your financial strategy? Now across this four weeks we're going to deal with one of these each week and as much as ever it's important that you tune in uh, to all four of these sermons so that you get the whole picture you see because if I'm going to talk about financial asceticism today and you're sitting over here with financial anxiety you go well I don't have this financial strategy as opposed to God hey I've got this sorted hey this money thing I'm good to go And if you don't hear the other four weeks, you might not catch up on that thing in your life, your approach to money that is opposed to God. So as much as ever, number one, encourage you to come along every week, uh, but catch up uh, on our sermon series. Uh, They get up online where you can look at them in our podcast or on SoundCloud. But anytime, uh, get in touch with me and I can give you a a copy of what I preach from and what the... uh, Uh, youth group uh, have in front of them so that you can follow along. Chat to one another about it. Uh, Plan with a friend or a family member or the person you're sitting next to today. Hey, I'm not going to be here next week. Can I catch up with you for a coffee on Sunday afternoon and talk about what you heard? Uh, Make sure we tune into all of them together. Now today, we are going to look at financial asceticism. This question is, money bad? Uh, There's a group that started about 10 years ago, a group of friends who were um, school teachers, uh, engineers, accountants, just a small group, who made, they call themselves the compact, the compact. They made this decision for one year, and they were going to hold each other accountable to it, that they were not going to buy anything that was new, apart from food, uh, medicine, and the essentials. And one of the, essentials that, one of the few essentials they list is underwear. Okay, so for one year, they're going to hold each other accountable to not buy anything new. Anything else that they're going to get and everything, if they can, they're going to, they're going to swap it, they're going to get it secondhand, uh, they're going to uh, pick it up on free cycle or something like that, they're going to grow it themselves, they're going to make it themselves, they're going to go secondhand. This is what one of the group members says. We're trying to get off the first market consumerism grid because consumer culture is destroying the world. Their engagement in the world is leaving them feel a little bit trapped, like it's destroying the world, like it's making the world and their lives worse off. Another one of the members says this, it gives me a healthier perspective on life. The compact group are financial asceticists, I didn't plan on that word, aesthetics, asceticists, we'll have to work on, not anethicists. Uh, those who are into financial asceticism, that is the compact group. They believe that to have true happiness, we need to get away from money and from consumerism. Now, they're not an obscure, small group that got together 10 years ago. It is now a worldwide movement. They have 100 people a day uh, join their group, the compact. But this idea is not a new first world century. If you've come across any um, uh, church history, you might have heard about the monastics, those who are into monasticism, another type of asceticism. Wow, we had big words that end in shun before, now we've got big words that ends in ism. Monastics. These men and women, uh, usually spiritual people, and this was in, uh, uh, in Christianity as well, were into extreme self-denial. They wanted to get away from money and stuff even in the first century AD. They wanted to get away from money and stuff because they saw that it could enable them to focus more on spiritual things and that this would bring them a spiritual uh, benefit. You might have heard of it just in really simple ways of people who like to meditate or go away on retreats but the monastics through history have taken it to a kind of bit of an extreme. There were some people who used to go out into the desert and live on a pole with no food or water. They took it to such an, extreme, uh, 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 such an extreme that they kind of became tourist attractions and the church leadership had to kind of try and shut it down because other people were trying to be like them and there were deaths and all kinds of things like that. But monastics are into extreme self-denial. Now, what about our experience? Are we resonating with this a little bit? Feeling like consumerism and money is is something that's waiting to grab hold of us and, and gobble us up and spit us out? We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. That's not meant to be a reflection on Mother's Day next weekend, by the way. We've felt dissatisfied with money and the pursuit of wealth. Perhaps we've been left cold by consumerism. Maybe we're feeling some of the outrage at those who have abused money, financial crime and greed. And so we ask this question today, is money bad? For somebody who has the financial strategy of asceticism, you ask, is money bad? They say, yes! Money is bad. Now, as we want to come to understand money rightly, our starting point is God. If we want to understand anything rightly in the world, if we want to understand ourselves rightly, the biblical framework that we have given, the way that we see the world, what I believe is the right way to see the world, we have always got to start with God. If we're going to understand money rightly, we're going to start with God. Now, a moment ago we read from Psalm 104. The psalmist here gives us a perspective on the world that all points to God. In verse 1 there, as the psalmist lays out really what is a reflection on the creation of the world that we can read about in Genesis 1 and 2... The psalmist starts with praising God for his greatness and majesty. Praise the Lord, verse one. O my soul, O Lord my God, you are great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And as the psalmist provides this reflection on creation, everything that he sees in the world as he looks around, whether it's jackals or lions or beasts, the sun rain everything he sees has an order and a goodness that comes from god verse 24 how many are your works o lord in in wisdom you made them all the earth is full of your creatures In Genesis chapter 1, where we get the account of the creations in the heavens and the earth, there's a recurring refrain there. God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. You see, everything God creates is good. The idea in the world and the idea that there even is in Christianity that stuff, that material things that matter might be bad, that comes from Greek philosophy. You might, want to dig, you might be familiar with Greek philosophy, you might want to dig into it a little bit more. The idea that matter, that stuff we can touch and hang on to, the idea that that is bad and we need to get away from it, that is an idea of Greek philosophy that is infiltrated into the way that Christians think throughout the centuries. It has not come from the Bible. You see, the Bible's perspective is that stuff, physical things matter. Well, the Bible's positive about that. We see again and again and again that what God made is good. People that He made is good. Animals and birds is good. Dirt and trees and rocks is good. The ability to do things in the world and work and grow and make and build and serve and love is good. The ability to eat and drink and enjoy, God made that, it is good. Pastor Paul Tripp cautions us, in how we think about money and stuff. He says, don't deal with money by labeling it as evil and bad and then steer away from it, keep it at arm's length or minimize contact with it. He goes on to say that God is glorified when we acknowledge the goodness of what he has made. God is honored when we recognize that what God has made is good, when we enjoy it, when we uh, 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 recognize it as good, we acknowledge God's goodness and we glorify Him. Now in recognizing the goodness of things, we need to remember where it all comes from. God, everything we have, comes from God. Our Christians are convinced that everything we have in the world comes from God. There's just recurring evidence of this in the Bible. I don't think you can read the Bible from cover to cover and come away from it with any other idea than that everything that we have comes from God. Psalm 104 constantly sees that all this that we have in the world comes from God. Let's pick up again a few verses here. Verse 5. Psalm 104 verse 5, He, God, set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. God did it. Verse 10, God makes springs, pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. I mean, one of the things I did study at university was hydrology and meteorolo- meteorology and that when water falls in a particular place, where is it all going to land and end up? Very important if you're designing dams from an engineering perspective and all that kind of thing. And we learned about watershedding and waterfalls here and it lands there and there. Earlier this week I walked along the northern border of uh, the ACT in New South Wales and that border is where it is because the surveyors worked out where the watershed was. Water that falls on that side of the hill belongs to the ACT that falls on that side of the hill belongs to New South Wales and so we're going to put the border exactly along the top of the hill. Where does all that water come from? We might be able to explain all those kind of things. The psalmist reminds us that it comes from God. Verses 14 and 15, God makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate "...bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart, it comes from God." Verse 27, "...these all look, all the animals and birds and sea creatures." Verse 27, "...these all look to you, God, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things." Everything we have comes from God. As we read our way through the Old Testament, one of the first bunch of people we come across is the Old Testament patriarchs. Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Men who were blessed by God, who had considerable wealth and possessions and prosperity. It all came from God. And they acknowledged that it came from God. When God's people were taken into slavery in Egypt, the story of the baby Moses growing up and leading God's people out, where they had nothing going through the wilderness, God provided for them everything that they need. They were on their way to the promised land of Canaan, a land that would be rich and fertile, and it was... God gave his people the Old Testament laws and there are lots in the laws of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, lots in there about wealth and possessions, restrictions that were placed on property and accumulation of wealth and lending and borrowing so that there might be care of the poor and the vulnerable. All of these laws which God gave about wealth and possessions and lending and borrowing was so that all people... In the community were provided for. When we get into the wisdom literature of God's people being settled in the land and reflecting on who God is and who they were and how they were to live in light of it, books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, we see in there reflection on the patterns that God has set up in creation so that we can observe them, so that we can expect things that are going on, so we can work with what is there so that we are provided for. The very fact that we can have a watershed on a hill and make decisions and expectations about water falling and where it will go and that kind of thing, God has set up those patterns in creation that we can study meteorology and make expectations about when and where and how water will fall, even making long-range forecasts, is because God has set up the patterns of creation. That we can grab the ingredients that grow in the world and combine them together into foods that we can eat and enjoy is because God has set up all those patterns. Continuing on through the Old Testament, when we come to the book of 1 Chronicles, King David there is planning for God's temple to be built a permanent place that will represent God dwelling with his people his son would dwell it but there's this wonderful statement that David makes in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 as he's gathered the people and making plans and expectations for the temple that is going to built. David says this to the entire community who am I And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For the building of the temple, there was going to be lots of things brought together, lots of wealth, lots of resources, money, gold, silver, wood, bronze, all had to be brought together. And David says that we are able to give this as generously as this. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. This is the perspective that God's Old Testament people, the leaders, the patriarchs, the kings had on everything. It came from God. Now as Jesus comes into the world and comes amongst his disciples and as he teaches his people, as he teaches on prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, what he teaches is that the, the, uh, uh, in prayer we have a, a posture of expectation and faith that everything comes from God. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. That is a posture of expectation and faith. The pattern of Christian discipleship is one where we trust in God to provide for us. You see, everything that we have comes from God. We might have great skill, praise God for it. We might put in hard work, and we should. We might have unexpected success come along, but it is not good luck. It is not good fortune. It has not come about because my achievement has been good enough. Our health and our ability to work, it comes from God. The education and wisdom that we have in our brains that enables us to generate stuff and enjoy it, that comes from God. That favourable seasons come along that give bumper crops into our economy, or for any of us here that are farmers, that comes from God. The economic environment that you and I have been born into, that comes from God. Everything, God creates is good and every good thing we have comes from God. Now I would love to say so much more across the Bible of showing God's giving to us and of God's goodness but I hope I've shown you just enough this morning for your sense of God to not be tight and stingy but to see that God is abundantly generous. God gives, gives, gives. God gives what is good, good, good. Now, there are two implications for us in response to God's generosity. Two distinctive characteristics of being generation generous. The first one, enjoy. Is money bad? Is wealth bad? Is prosperity bad? Are material things bad? The Bible says no. All that God has made is good. All that comes from God's good hand is to be enjoyed. See this verse in 1 Timothy 6? You might remember verses 17 and 18 for the the challenge that they kind of say to us command those who are rich in this present world, that is everyone in this world, okay, from the Bible's perspective, we are all rich. And Paul writing to Timothy says, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God... Now we remember those bits usually, they stand out to us and they're supposed to because we need that to rattle us a little bit. But today, don't miss this last bit, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We hear the rattling bit there and we feel like the bird trapped in the cage. But we've got to hear this bit, given richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment enjoyment. Now there is so much more to say about money and stuff, keep coming back the next three weeks, but we need to hear this from God's perspective, enjoy. God would not have us escape from money. It is not more spiritual to be poor. It's not more spiritual to live in poverty. Enjoyment of what God has made to be good And what he has given, enjoyment of that, glorifies God. Martin Luther, from the time of the Reformation, the monk who came to understand grace and he could earn nothing with God, who was upset and disturbed by the financial abuses in the church, he came to understand this about money. If silver and gold are things evil in themselves, then those who keep away from them deserve to be praised. But if they are good creatures of God, which we can use both for the needs of our neighbour and for the glory of God, is not a person silly? Yes, even unthankful to God if he refrains from them as though they were evil. If God has given you wealth, Give thanks to God and see that you make right use of it. And I can kind of imagine from what I know of Martin Luther, his great big German beer stein, he would have slammed it down on the table at that stage and went, drink up, (laughs) enjoy. Not because he was a drunk. He came to see through reading the Bible that he had a right perspective on money and wealth and everything that God had made is good and comes from him. Enjoy it. But it's an enjoyment... He says that always remembers who it has come from so that you might be thankful. We're to have an enduring habit of thankfulness for everything. Enjoy and be thankful. Paul also writes to Timothy, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Now here's where this is a bit of a challenge for us. Thankfulness. We live in a climate of considerable convenience. Even if we don't have much money, even if we don't have much money coming in and out each week, even if we would say that we struggle financially, perhaps just a little bit from time to time, day to day, week to week, month to month, for almost all of us here, we know that the next pay will come in. The budget will kind of balance. There'll be enough dirt that we can put from there over to there. We, someone will share something with us We might have an unexpected gift come along, a government benefit or a a tax refund or or a discount. In our climate of convenience, for almost all of us, we know that we will get by and it'll just come in. And I think, reflecting on myself most of all, because of this convenience, we are most in danger of ingratitude, thanklessness, and entitlement. It'll just come to me. What an ugly thing it is, not speaking from experience here, what an ugly thing it would be to have a child who says to you, parent, you owe me. Pay up. Jesus tells a story about a, about a lost son who's like that, isn't he? The son who goes to his dad, Dad, you owe me. <laughs> Pay up. Give me what I am owed. Not what I've, what, what I've earned. Give me everything that you have earned, everything that you are worth. Give it to me because I'm your son. You owe me. Isn't that ugly? How ugly a thing if with thanklessness, with ingratitude, with a sense of entitlement, we grow into people who might think, God, you owe me. If we're going to combat that, we need to build an enduring habit of thankfulness for everything. Train our minds to be constantly thankful to God. Perhaps that's something you can work on this week. We can work on that, on trying to get into our head the habit of saying, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yesterday at our church prayer meeting, the first 20 minutes or so of our prayer time was shared just in one sentence prayers, Thank you, Father God, for... No, what, a, what, a, what an encouragement that was, but how much that reshaped me. I'm sure it had the same effect on other people who were there as, as uh, uh, Tim, one of our elders, led us uh, through that. Hey, I need to say thank you God, thank you God for, thank you God for, thank you God for. I need that habit in my life that I don't become ungracious, that I don't become unthankful, that I have a sense of entitlement before God. Train our minds to do that. A few years ago I came across a lift out in the newspaper, a magazine in the money in, in the middle that was about money. The title page of it said money. Make it enjoy it. Do you like it or not? I don't think God minds it. God says, go for it. Enjoy it. And be thankful. Now, there's so much more to say in the next three weeks. Uh, next week, we're going to look at financial atheism, which is all around us and touches each, each one of us. But for day, today, hear this. If your financial strategy is to avoid money and stuff because it's bad, hear God say, it's good. Enjoy it and be thankful.